But anyways, today is the, we're going to continue our study on the First Corinthians chapter 6. And the title of my sermon today is Put an End to Your Conflict and Start Enjoying Kainonia Relationships. So guess what? What the sermon is going to be about? Some kind of conflicts and resolution and fellowship, right? But before we do that, I want to show you my picture. This is in my house. It happened last Thanksgiving. So we had to line up all the people who were there for their heights, starting from the shortest and to the tallest. So we have a couple families present. Mainly it's my extended family. So my own family, my parents, my two sisters' family, and my daughter's family. And we all love fellowships. We love community. We love friends who are close to us. Um, and why do we gather together? Because we have so many things together in common, right? So what do these people have in common? What do you think? I would say they are related. They speak the same, same language. They ate food from my table, same table. They celebrated the same, in the same house. They enjoyed time together. These people are not this, uh, of the same blood. Not all of them. They don't have the same last names. They don't live in the same city. They don't even go to the same church. But we enjoyed fellowship. Um, we often, often think that our families, it's the best community, community or the fellowship that there is. But if we look, if we look closely, we can see that we do have a lot of stuff in common, but um, it's not as many things that we have in common. Uh, we as the family, we don't have conflicts. Uh, maybe some disagreements sometimes, but it would be hurtful to see any one of us have a lawsuit against each other. It would be sad to see a lawsuit going on. It would be sad if we took each other to the civil court. I don't know if we would have same fellowship like we had before with each other, right? And today's passage I'm going to read, it's mainly about the conflicts in the church of Corinth. And I would like all of us to open 1 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 1 to 11. If any of you have, has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to the court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels 
how much more matters of this life. So if you have such matters, do you appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? Instead, brother goes to the court against brother, and that before unbelievers. And it is to have legal, legal dis disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourself do wrong and cheat, and you do this to brothers and sisters. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Don't you know that the unrighteous um, will not inherit this kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or male who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So what's the main idea? What are we looking for? The main idea that the church will face conflicts. These conflicts should not be taken to the civil court for resolution. Instead, they should be dealt with from within the church in order to have reconciled fellowship between Christians. The church has to uphold its new values of spiritual fellowships in unity and peace. And today I want to talk about four things. There's going to be conflict as a human thing, two ways of resolve conflict, the proper use of secular courts, and the Christians are called into new fellowship. In other translations, for example, in ESV or New King James, it says, when one of you has a grievance against another. So we can see the church, that the disputes are erupting, and these disputes taken to the secular court. Why is it happening? Maybe because that church didn't have a system where to take care of the conflicts. Maybe they did not trust their leadership who would be able to help them. Or they had no idea or value of the new fellowship that they had. And it's hard to say. But we see that they would take their cases to unbelieving judges. And they would take all their conflicts before eyes of unbelieving spectators who would see how Christians fight. And it was upsetting Apostle Paul when he heard this behavior. So for us, it's important to understand that the conflicts, it's not just a matter of if conflicts happen. It's a matter of when conflict happens. And why is that? Because conflicts, they began a long time ago. They began after the fall. And the hugest conflict that started, it was when the first people have sinned. 
first conflict between people and between humans and God has started. And that conflict is going on. So it continues. So we need to understand that we live in the society and we are prone ourselves to do conflicts, to, to have a disputes. And we can see that disputes are happening in the church as well. It's not only with the unbelieving people, it's with the believers as well. And James, he says in chapter 4, verse 1, he says following, what is the source of wars and fighting among you? He's talking to the church. So it's not Paul talking to church in Corinth. It's, it's, a, it's James who is talking to a different church, and he says there are wars and fights among you. So conflicts are as given in the church. There are going to be conflicts. And what's the, what's the reason? What's the source? Don't they come, these fights and wars, from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. So it's our old nature that produces the conflicts. It's our wants. It's our self-love. When we meet two self-loving people, and each one of them have their own wants, their own desires and passions, we end up, we may end up with the conflicts. So what are the two ways of resolving the conflict? Well, before we go there, so we can see that the, this conflict in the church may, have, may happen in three types. So the first conflict can appear as a repentant sin. It's already creating conflict if somebody is unrepenting in their sin, and that was sin done maybe against somebody else. And he keeps on blaming everyone else and clinging to the sin. It creates the conflict. So the second type of the conflict can happen in the church is between the, when there is a disagreement, a disagreement with the leadership. And when church sees that leadership is not doing their own, they, don't take, they do not take care of the flock. And that's when leadership needs to be humble and, and listen and hear the flock. And, and, and people of the congregation need to pray for the leadership. And the third category, as we see, is the disputes between Christians. And basically in the, in the Corinthian church, we can see all three types of conflicts. Because when we started to read the uh, letter to Corinthians, there was a dispute between who do we belong to. So there is a disagreement in the leadership or who do you follow. So there is a disagreement with the, with the believers and the leadership. Last time, last Sunday, we, we, we looked at the unrepentant sin. It was a conflict. And today we're looking at the more conflict, smaller conflicts that uh, occurred in the, in, the, in the church of Corinth. So we can see that all this church was filled with the conflicts, with the disputes. And Paul is addressing now this third type of conflict. So what are the ways... Um, the conflict can be resolved. And it's very common. So we can see that the church of Corinth, they would take that fight response. Maybe in our church we don't see 
that people would take um, their conflicts to the civil courts, but maybe we have a tendency to flight. Don't even start. Don't come up to the people and, and explain what happened if, if we have been hurt. So there are two wrong ways to fight or escape. In a conflict, just ignore it as if nothing happened. But there is one that is biblical when we have to resolve the conflict through the forgiveness. Two ways how we can resolve conflict. So in verses 5, 6, it says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? Instead, brother goes to the court against brother and that before unbelievers. So we can see that Church of Corinth, they practice this human way. So there is, there is a, a secular court or human way approach to the problem, and there is a church way. There is a godly way. And the Church of Corinth, they practice this human way. They used court system. It's important to know that um, at the uh, beginning of the church, Jews themselves they practiced and they had their own court system or their own uh, conflict resolution people who would help their communities no matter where they would live. If they would live in a, in a Gentile world, they would take care of their people. They would help them to resolve their conflicts. But it seems like the Corinthian church, they were living in the Greek culture and they decided instead of have their own system, how they would take care of that. They, they would decide to go to the pagans, to the Gentiles, and receive their help. The Greek culture had a practice to have civil courts in a public place. So it wasn't closed building. It was in a public place, and many times it would be placed in the middle of the marketplace. So it was a busy uh, place where people would hear everything that was going on, and it was usually the big part of the ent entertainment. So it would look like the people's court, Judge Judy, right? You, you probably remember her. So it would be like this people's court in the Corinth, where would two Christians be taken, and their case would be presented, and they would be judged. So it was very obvious to the whole city. It was obvious to the whole unbelieving world what's going on inside the church, what's going on in every house. Who do they hate? How did it happen? And what things, how the things would be resolved. Church having conflicts, it's already hard to hear. It's already sad. But making it public, and expecting unbelievers to solve their problem was very foolish of them. And probably each one of us have, ex have experienced, if you have been in the church for quite a long time, you have experienced some conflicts. And probably from all of those three categories. When there is sin in the church, 
when there is disagreement with the eldership and there is a conflict between people, maybe you are still in that conflict and you don't know what, what needs to be done and maybe today's word is gonna be helpful to you. Why is this wrong to use secular courts? Why is it wrong that Paul is saying that it is wrong to use the secular courts, civil courts? It is wrong because of the, their values, their process, and their goals are different than the Lord's teaching. Unbelievers, they have different value system. And they have a different goal when they hear the case. Human courts, they usually promote self, protect and exercise personal rights, protection of personal possessions. It's usually encouraged fighting for self and desire of settlement. So basically, the civil court is designed for the winning and losing. It's not designed for the spiritual change in the person. Right? It takes care only of the, some of the things, but it doesn't pay attention to the bigger issues that's going on during the conflict. Whereas Christian values are denying yourself, restored fellowship, not to retaliate, confessing of sins, forgiveness and repentance, unity, transformation, spiritual maturity, biblical wisdom, and these are the spiritual values and spiritual things that happen in the process that church offers, what God offers. So we understand that any conflict has not only to do only with the words and actions, which is visible side, but it also has to do with the spiritual side. What's happening behind? What are the motives? What's happening in my heart? So not only our bodies are involved, our souls are involved in the conflict as well. If we look at the secular prison system, we see that it, many times it fails to have a transformation of the heart of the person. Criminal, after serving his years in prison, can come out as much as criminal as he was before, or even worse. So the prison system is not focused on the change of the heart. It, it is focusing on a sentence, on, a, on a, some kind of settlement. Christ has a teaching um, on these kind of things, what to do if there is a conflict between Christians. And we often use this text for the disciplinary action, but originally it was taught for the conflict resolutions. And that's the passage of the Matthew 18. That's the process how the conflict needs to be resolved and was taught by Christ. And it is done in Christ's spirit. So we read following. 
If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if, if he won't listen, take one or two other with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like Gentile and a tax collector to you. So according to Jesus, any offense and hurts that are caused by another Christian should not be ignored. It's a commandment. Remember we saw that illustration when there's a conflict, either we fight or we flight. So if there is a hurt from another Christian, we should not ignore it. Jesus was teaching that we should not be fighting them in the civil court. We should not take that avenue, but with love, we need to defeat evil privately. We need to go into that hurt, through the hurt to the person that has offended us privately with love. That's the way of biblical conflict resolution. That's the way of Christ. That's how he does it. He doesn't fight, but he goes through the hurt, through the suffering to bless. So initial step that Jesus is assigning to us, before one, somebody wants to resolve any conflict, he should start with his heart self-examination. Before we decide to go to the person who has hurt us, we have to make sure that our heart is right with God. It's very important. Because we will not solve the issue. We will complicate it. If our response is going to be sinful to the sin that we received, it's going to escalate. So initial step, what Christ says, we have to double check with our hearts. So we need to have peace with God. We, we should have forgiveness ready for that person that we come to. And have a desire to reconcile with that person. We're not going to that person to shame him. To, to, take, to place ourselves above him with our all how we, how we say the words and how we um, tell how he has hurt us and stuff. So the first step has to be, we have to have forgiveness ready. We need to have a decision that we already forgiven offender. And we want to have a desire to restore fellowship. These steps, if they're done in humility, they resolve most of the conflicts at the first private step. When we come to the person and we openly lay out what we have experienced and how we have received comfort of God already and how we have already forgiven that person and now we want to restore the fellowship, usually the conflict ends there. It doesn't go anywhere else. And even if it doesn't happen, Jesus says the next step has to happen. 
we need to invite another person who is of the same spirit, of forgiving spirit, loving spirit, to receive that person in the fellowship who is hurting others, right? So another person should be involved who has the spirit of humility and desire of reconciliation. And even if the person doesn't listen, doesn't come back into the fellowship, it has to be, has to be told to the church. And if he doesn't listen to the church, he has to be, that person has to be rejected from that covenant fellowship. Covenant fellowship. And many times, church that originally doesn't have those, that covenant fellowship, and they practice their discipline, the person who gets rejected the fellowship, he's like, so what? I never had a good fellowship with you guys. Yeah, excommunicate me. So what? I don't know what that fellowship is all about. I can go and choose another church. I can stick to another church. So none of these blessings any secular courts would offer you. Secular court will not encourage us to be humble, to be forgiving, to be loving. Secular court will not encourage for the change of heart, for the restoration of the fellowship. Only God and church can deal with our brokenness and grant us with a genuine change. Only God can do it. And church that practice this restoration, conflict restorations in love. Let's look at Jesus. How did Jesus deal with the offenses? Was he offended? Was Jesus hurt by other people? It would be a really good experience to read the Gospels all over again and see how many times was Jesus hurt by other people? By his own disciples? By strangers? That he would tell them to do one thing and they would go and, and do totally different thing? He would be offended by the religious leaders who would finally crucify him. But how did he deal with offenses? He forgave all. He had a peace. Jesus would not respond sinfully. He would always have a forgiveness for the people who would hurt him. He did not let bitterness grow its roots inside of him. Because usually hurt, seed of hurt, produces the root of bitterness. If we are bitter, if we are ignoring somebody, if we get angry at somebody, if we walk by somebody, it says that we have some kind of root of bitterness already. And it means that there has been some hurt done to me. Jesus would not allow this root of bitterness cultivating him. He would come and face his offender, offenders in love. If you remember the story of Judah, who has betrayed Jesus, and he brings the soldiers in his hiding place where Jesus would be with his disciples. And he doesn't fight Judah. He says, friend, do you betray me with your kiss? 
He comes through the hurt. He comes through the pain, through the suffering, and faces the person with love. He forgives already. He forgave already Judah before he came and talked to him. Look at Peter, who denied Jesus. After resurrection of Jesus, he prepares the meal, and he, through the hurt of denial, when he left by himself and he was denied by Peter three times, he sees Peter, and his conversation is about love. He turns his focus from himself when he was proud. I can do it, Jesus, for you. Yes, Jesus, I can do it for you. Jesus worked it out in his heart where he has to deny himself. And now he turns his attention to himself, to Jesus, and follow me. Do you love me? He's looking if the Peter has learned a lesson. He's inviting Peter, Peter into fellowship, a new fellowship. He's inviting him to focus on himself, on God, and other people. He's saying, take care of my flock. He's redirecting his focus from himself to God and to, to the people around him. Jesus comes through the pain, through the suffering, to help people, to bless people. But look at his example when he was suffered on the cross and his death on the cross. It's the greatest conflict that could ever happened. Son of God on the cross. That's the greatest conflict. It's even worse than the, what happened when the first people have sinned against God. Holy God who gave everything to them. That's the greatest conflict. And how did Jesus react to that conflict? How did he look at those people who have crucified him? Jesus came into the world of hurt, and he expected the hurt, because this is the world full of sins. Hurt is going to happen. Suffering is going to happen. Conflicts are going to happen. But how do we react to the people who hurt us? Jesus gave us an example. He was loving. He came through the hurt to bless. He would retaliate. He would not respond sinfully. He came to resolve our conflict, not to start it. <clears throat> and what's interesting, he doesn't come in his first coming to hurt his offenders. He comes to bless them. And that's the way of Jesus. That's the way of Jesus for us Christians. That's not the way of human beings. It's not the way of civil court. It's the way of the church. It's the way of new creation. We need to come in our conflicts every day, before conflicts happen. We need to come to our Jesus, to our Lord, as to our teacher, and be united to him and ask him, how can we be kind and compassionate when somebody offends us and hurts us? How can we love them? How can we forgive them as Christ forgave us? The way how Christ forgave us. How can we forgive them? Teach us, Lord. Our Lord, he needs to teach us not to focus on ourselves, but on love for him and on love for others. 
that's usually very important time for us to pray. If we're in a conflict, if there are some tensions, we need to pray. We need to ask Jesus. Because if we're going to act with our own abilities, our human abilities, we're going to escalate the conflict. Or it's not going to be resolved. We're going to escape. Or we're going to start fighting. That's the first thing that happens. But we need to pray a lot and let Jesus deal with our hearts, both of our hearts, offender and offended. Very important to look at the conflict, look at the hurt as an opportunity to share life. Usually these kind of situations when we come and face the person through the hurt and suffering that is against us, it's the best time to share life together. It's the best time to open up. Maybe there aren't any better opportunities to see our own sinfulness, Christ's grace, and, and, and ability to love. It's amazing time to listen to each other. It's great time to forgive and be forgiven. It's very important not to look at the conflict as an opportunity to shame your brother. Or an opportunity to pay back for the hurt. Be ready to accept being wronged by somebody. Pay the price. Go through the hurt. Go through the suffering. But have Jesus to comfort you because he knows how to go through the suffering, through the hurt. Have Jesus at that time. Because it's, it's hard. It's, it is really hard. To go to your brother when you got hurt is a commandment. It's not an optional. Jesus is developing something very special in the community of the church. He wants us to deal with hurts. He's trying to achieve something very valuable. True fellowship that can happen when there is no hurt, when there is no gossip, when there is no separation. That's the kind of fellowship God is inviting us into. He's calling us into the new fellowship. And all of the Christ's commandments are the blessings to us. If this is the commandment, if somebody has offended me, go and tell that him privately. This is a blessing for both of us. It's a blessing for the church. Go and resolve conflict that's starting But what about secular courts? Is there anything good about them? Can a Christian use secular courts? If we read Romans 13, 1 through 4, it says, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities. Since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And those who oppose, it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, 
but to God. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval, for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath to the one who does wrong. When it is proper for the Christians to use a civil court, and there is going to be a list. It's not the full list. But some of the examples, dispute with unbelievers, can be taken to the civil court. If it is a criminal matter, church can deal with the spiritual side, but if it is a criminal matter, there should be punishment. Acting on the behalf of the other, if we want to try to protect somebody else, matter of insurance, legal separation or divorce can be taken to the civil court. Needs of protection, if there is an abuse happening and we need restraining order or some kind of protection from the authorities, we take it to the court. So there is definitely use for the civil court, but mainly all the disagreements and the conflicts have to be resolved in the church. And even all of these maybe have to result in the church before they're taken to the civil court. It depends on the case. So we're talking about the restoring our fellowship. But why is it so important for the Christian community to have a restored fellowship? Why is this so important for us to have this community of the believers? So in the, in the Bible, in the Greek language, this fellowship that we have, this word fellowship, in English, it sounds like koinonia. And it's a special word. It's not just a fellowship, friendly gathering or friendly meeting. It's a special gathering or the special fellowship. It's a holy, covenantal fellowship with God and with each other. It's a covenantal fellowship. It's not only whoever wants to come to the Russian fellowship, you come, right? So the church, the believers who are in Christ, we have a different fellowship than any other fellowships. It's not like a family fellowship. It's not like some interest fellowships. It's a Christian fellowship. And a Christian fellowship consists of fellowship with God and with each other. In Acts 2.42, it's the beginning of the church. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Very interesting if we see that this fellowship is in the list of very important things in the very spiritual things. Prayer, communion, teaching of the word, and then there is this fellowship. It's a special, special type of relationships. It's a special time, type of fellowship that Christians have. And the early church, they were devoted not only to read the Bible, to pray, to be at the communion, 
but they were devoted to the fellowship of the believers. They were devoted to this new reality that they have as one family, one fellowship. And it was very lifted up in, in, in their midst. They understood that the Christian fellowship played a huge role. We can see from the text that fellowship, it's an important spiritual activity. To be in the fellowship of believers, it's an activity. It's not only my presence, physical presence. I brought myself on Sunday morning. We can come here on Sunday morning but have no fellowship as a Christians. When we don't love God and we don't love people, it's not the Christian fellowship. It's whatever Russian culture fellowship, whatever community uh, fellowship, you can name it, but it's not a Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship is an important spiritual activity. It's not something shallow. It's not just gathering. It's a new reality for the believer, for all believers to be in Christ. So each one of us is invited to be in Christ from different backgrounds, different families, different nationalities. We are invited to be in Christ. And in Christ, we have this Christian fellowship. We are invited to celebrate, to share in Christ this Christian fellowship. All believers in Christ are called to be his body, where he's our head, and we're members to each other. We're called in this very close community, dedicated to each other, working together, caring for each other. Christ is our head and we're his body. We're united. And we're united to each other. We're the members of the same body. It's the Christian fellowship. It's something different. It's not, it's not anything else what we have experienced. Our Christ has called us into the special Christian fellowship. And we're united by his own life. Through all of us, through the head, through the, all, the, all the parts of the body, his life is circulating. We are united. I am united with my Christian fellow. We are all together. We share the same life as Christ. We are one with him and with each other. This new fellowship is vibrant relationship with God himself and with all the saints. All the saints. He has called us to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a new, new position. We're brothers and sisters. We're not strangers. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a new fellowship in Christ. This position has purchased for us on the cross with his blood. It has been purchased for us. This new fellowship of believers has been purchased and given us as a gift. The more we realize of this gift to be a part of one's family, and the more we dedicate our lives to Christ and each other, the more we will experience the gift of Kainania fellowship. That is which is holy and covenantal. This fellowship is holy and covenantal. The more united we are, 
the more we can experience worshiping our God. When there are no conflicts, there are no gossip. We can come to our Lord and have this fellowship with our God. The more we experience this fellowship, we can do His work for His name. The more we can experience His will that is going to happen in our midst. In 1 John 1.3 it says, John is basically inviting new Christians into this fellowship while he's writing this, this epistle. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, says the apostle, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So every person that comes into the church through the baptism or joins the church, he joins the community. He joins the fellowship of Christian believers who have fellowship with God and with each other. That's the true fellowship that we have to uphold. That's the true fellowship which has to be united, has to be open with no conflicts, no hurts. Paul is addressing Corinthians as if they have forgotten where they were and what Christ has done to them. He is not only reminding them of their past, but he makes them focus on their future where they will be judging world and angels. This new fellowship community that God is creating, it's a special community. He has called us from all kinds of communities, and he has reconciled us with God. He has fixed, he has resolved our conflict with God. And basically when he, he is saying to them, do not be deceived no sexual immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkard, verbal abusive people, swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Their old fellowships were of the same sinful lifestyle. Many human relationships were broken because of their, their previous sins. And now they are called to be into this new fellowship. And they're expected to not to come into the conflicts, resolve conflicts. And more than that, they're called into the new, this opportunity or, or the future plans that he has for us. And it's a hard task that we, we will judge the world and angels. We as the people of Christ were invited to bring the gospel of reconciliation. In the Second Corinthians chapter 5, it says that we have, the world has been reconciled to God. And now we bring this gospel of reconciliation. It's a conflict resolution. It's resolved. So the gospel itself resolves problem. And now he wants us to be an example of the conflict resolution. He wants us to be 
live in harmony. So Christ wants us, instead of me mentality, he wants us to think of we mentality. Instead of, uh, we need to forget me first, but instead value God first and people second. We are invited into the love relationships. And Jesus would say, new commandment I give to you, love each other as I have loved you. This love is dedicated only for this new community, new fellowship that we experience. Another picture. Different family. We're not lined up in one row. What unites us? Language, culture, common experiences, same neighborhood, we share the same building. There is more. There is much, much more. Our fellowship, our, 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 who we are, there is much more. We have same God the Father. We have His Son as our Lord Jesus Christ. We have Holy Spirit working in us. All of us, we have the same baptism. All of us, we have common or same new nature. All of us have the same faith. We have the same cross that we come to. We have same resurrection of Jesus and our resurrection. We have his glory. We have Christ's inheritance. We have a good shepherd. We have a forgiveness of sins. We have a blood of Jesus. We have a peace that is given to us from Jesus. We have a gospel. We have a communion. We have doctrines that are common to all of us. We have common future. We have common values. We have common plans. We have the same Bible. We have the same experience of grace. We have the same family. But the most important, we all share the same life of Jesus Christ in all of us. This is the greater community that has been created in the new creation in Christ. And we have a new fellowship that needs to be uplifted and need to become, need to be uh, protected. You probably are familiar with the covenant page. So when uh, this page is signed, when uh, we do the uh, take memberships in into our church, and it's a covenant. Basically, the wording is saying that we all together in a covenant with each other. We are dedicated to each other and to our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read these two paragraphs. Having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God, we receive Jesus Christ as the Lord, Savior, and supreme treasure of our lives. And on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, 
I do now, in the presence of God, angels and as this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into the covenant with one another as one body and in Christ. To not only be a member of this church, but also a partner for the gospel mission of Jesus Christ. I agree with the bylaws and the statement of faith of Living Word Bible Church. I will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit. See? I will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace of this church. I will seek to edify the church, walking in brotherly love and exercise in affectionate care and watchfulness over my brothers and sisters. Last Sunday we talked about we need to be watchful over my brothers and sisters, and we need somebody who need to watch over us. We need to receive this affectional care and look for each other, after each other. I place myself under the careful biblical leadership of the church, and I am open for teaching, rebuke, and correction. That's where the conflict resolution comes. I am open for the help in all kinds of situations that I'm going to face with. Application points. How do you solve your conflicts? Do you fight, flight, or do you use biblical reconciliation? How do we solve? Have you ever been in a conflict with another believer? It would be a great moment to kind of remind ourselves and think, how did it go? Is it finalized? Do I have a true fellowship now? Has it been finalized? Has it been resolved? Or it's not? What do you find most difficult in conflict situations or resolution? What is the most difficult? What do we need to pray about? How can we support each other? Where do we need help? Was your conflict resolution resolved in the restored fellowship? If not, what went wrong? What can be done? Have you ever had a good experience with the church conflict resolution? Have you seen it done? Have you done it? Have you seen it done by somebody else? Why is it wrong for the Christian to take their disputes to civil court? Kind of trying to re remind yourself of the truth. Why is it wrong? What is this new kind of near fellowship for Christians, according to the Acts 2.42? What is this new fellowship that I'm invited to? What do you think we should work on to experience this full potential of this new fellowship? What are the hindrances? What are the stumbling blocks that we do not experience fully, this true new fellowship in Christ? What do you value the most in this Christian fellowship? Just think. What do you like about new place in Christ? What needs to be developed? What do you like the most? Let us stand and pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God that we can come to and you have all the answers for us. Because we are created by you. We're saved by you. We are equipped by you. And the more we understand what has happened on the the more we understand what has happened in Jesus Christ, who came here through the suffering, through the hurt, to bless us. What is this blessing? Even today, as we read, as we think of this new fellowship that we have in Christ, this new community that you want us to realize, to experience, to receive, to dedicate to, what a blessing. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the teaching, direction, how can we love each other in the times when we get hurt by our sins? How can we resolve it for your glory? May you bless us in this practice. May you bless our hearts so we can grow in humbleness, in denying ourselves, but following you, our Lord Jesus Christ, loving you the first and others second. In the name of Jesus we ask. Amen.